Hey, if you're catching this hot off the press, it is Monday. So excited to be bringing this episode to you today. It's an interview with author Adam G. Fleming. He writes the Satchel Pong Chronicles, among many other novels and some nonfiction. My discussion with him is fascinating. But before we get to it, I want to give a huge shout out and a thank you to Mary McDiarmid, who reached out to me to let me know that my episode on Twitter helped her figure out something she'd been trying to do with social media for a while. Her words were so kind, and I am so grateful when I'm able to help anybody through this podcast. It can feel like a lonely process talking to a microphone and staring at a wall. And it's good to know that I'm connecting with you out there. So thanks again, Mary, for reaching out. I want all of you to check out her Twitter handle, which will be linked in my show notes, but it's at Mary McDiarmid one. She has asked me to let you know that she's part of the senior community of writers and wants to speak to other writers in the senior community about how to use social media to meaningfully engage with your audience. I think that's it for my notes this week, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer to hear from Adam G. Fleming. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Sperling, and I'm determined to help you whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, you'll be hearing from an industry expert on how they made the leap from unpublished to published, and how you can do it too. Um, yeah, I grew up on a, uh, on a hippie, um, commune strawberry farm and uh the first thing i always tell people about that is i ate more really really good strawberries by the time i was 10 years old than most people ever eat in a lifetime so i prefer blueberries now <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy you can you can you can get sick of something when you grow up raising it you know I, I believe that i do believe that and i i still find myself feeling a little bit jealous my kids eat uh, just clamshell after clamshell of store-bought strawberries. And I always know yeah. they're not really great strawberries. Um, yeah. I don't eat too many of them. They've got that like deep white core in the center of them. That's yeah. kind of flavorless. And it means that they were, they were picked a little bit green um, and they're, it's a variety that's a little better designed for like hybrid for shipping. Um, so it doesn't get smashed when you, you know, oh, put okay. it in a crate. And so I see those really big strawberries that I know come from California and I'm like, no, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My wife. So every year we do have a little bit of strawberries that we grow and we have the June yeah. bearing ones. I, I find June bearing to just be kind of the best berry that we can get here. Uh, uh -huh. But we'll, we'll pick all of those and she'll make a strawberry jam. And this is the one reason you should go back to strawberries. If, if you want to is strawberry jam with June bearing strawberries. And then you put that on a grilled cheese with kind of a sharp cheddar and jalapenos. And that is the most delicious sandwich I can imagine. Now, that's really interesting because we had a local diner. They had a hot dog that was strawberry jam and Swiss cheese. Oh, delicious. And it was really interesting. And so I enjoyed that. And we do, my wife and I do actually have a small strawberry uh, plot in our backyard too. So, I mean, you got to raise them yourself if you, if you want really good ones. 
That's right. And then you have to pick them when you have to pick them when they're just right and leave the ones that still need another day. And, and then the bugs get on them, you know, (laughs) exactly. Okay. So you are by any definition, a prolific writer, you are a prolific author. You have put out a, a startling number of books in a pretty small amount of time. So let's transition there to sure. the pace of your writing. Tell me, how do you do it? Um, well, I think one of the most critical things, if you want to write fast is to, uh, just dive in and write and, and not try to edit at the same time. Cause I, th- I believe they're actually using two different parts of the brain. So if you let one part of the brain interfere with the other part of the brain while it's trying to do its creative process. And really, I think what helps is um, some improv classes that I took, where it's just like the idea is yes, and so somebody says something and you go, okay, let's run with that and create a scene out of that. And then, um, so I'll often talk about one of my co writers that I learned a lot from talks about beats instead of an outline when you're doing fiction, that's hugely important to understand the beat so i'll say like for example the first beat is the doorway of no return or one of the first beats and so imagine yourself you're sitting in a cafe having a cup of coffee with a friend and then there's an explosion outside that you see you know through the window or maybe the maybe the glass breaks on the window because the explosion is just uh across the street or something and so um any main character worth his salt is probably going to run towards the explosion, not away from it. But between the time that the explosion happens and the end of the chapter, when that character runs out the door towards the explosion, basically anything and everything can and will happen. So they could recruit a sidekick. They could, um, if they're an anti-hero, they can smash the till, you know, and, and grab all the money. Um, they could bust a chair and, and, you know, take, take a leg of the chair as a weapon. Um, basically anything goes within that space. So then you just write, you can always change it later, but you just kind of just improv your way through the scene, knowing what you know about the character. Like I said, are they, are they likely to grab some cash or they, or, or somebody's laptop, or are they, you know, likely to recruit a posse. It just depends. You're using just a really firm process to make sure that you know where you're going. The The one that I'm familiar with is called Save the Cat Beat Sheet. Is that the one you're using or is it a different version? I mean, that's, yeah, that's basically the idea. Okay. Yeah. Save the Cat is probably the most famous book about that. And it started with the screenplays, but I think there's a second edition of that book that, uh, that talks about writing novels too. So yeah. I will link to, there's a, a great video on it uh, that Reedsy put out for, for the beat sheet. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Anybody who's interested in learning a little bit more, do you have a document that you actually work off of uh, for your particular beats? Or it's just in your head at this point. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in my head. Like I just think, well, what needs to happen next? Um, you know, or how, how does this chapter end? And so the chapter you know, your chapter is going to end with some additional, either solving a challenge, but then a new additional challenge comes up. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's really answering the question of how I write so fast. Um, I actually have (laughs) talked to plenty of people who write way faster than I do and put out four times as many books in a year as I do. So it's all relative. And my first book probably took me three or four years to get one. And so I think that some of that comes with time. 
that um, after you get the first one out that you, you wrestle with and work on so hard um, for so long, uh, then it just begins to speed up. I have somewhat in my own composition sped up, but I say somewhat. So my first, mm-hmm. my first novel that I, I mean, some of those stories started in my, my bachelor's degree with me and the book wasn't finished until I finished my master's degree. It took five, six years probably to do that book. Second book was the same way, another five years to finish it. I think I'm down to probably two years to get a finished draft of a book. It's just really difficult for me to move faster. So I, I agree. It is relative. I'm speeding up, but to my pace, which is glacial. Um, so how many books do you currently have out uh, for for readers? I think there are 12. It depends. I mean, sometimes things get bundled and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. basically there are 12 books and nine of them are novels. There's two or three nonfiction books as well. Okay. And so um, on on topics like leadership and uh, leadership coaching, some of my some of my professional knowledge. I want to talk a little bit about your most recent book, and then I want to transition into the marketing element of what you're doing. Sure. That's great. Um, So the most recent thing that I've completed is a five book series called the Satchel Pong Chronicles. And um, I think the first book is probably four years ago. And then I finished up the last two in 2021 um, so it's, it's fairly recent and yeah, I'm more in the marketing phase on that, but this is a steampunk fantasy series, um, set in a, in a fantasy world. It's really lighthearted. Um, it's not like a lot of steampunk can be really dark and kind of, uh, macabre or whatever. And it has a few of those element elements in it, but I always bring my, my sense of humor to any of the writing I do, no matter what the genre is. So you know, it's funny. It's, uh, it's lighthearted. It's not super dark. And, um, it's, it's set around the idea that Satchel Pong is this, uh, government official meteorologist. So in his world, the meteorologist, the person who studies the weather is a government official, and he's supposed to give an annual report. And he's been negligent on his annual report for 10 years because he knows, he doesn't know why, but he knows that his world is getting hotter. So it's a, it's a, it's a uh, global warming trope, and so he's got to figure out how how and where and and what he needs to do to lead his people towards some kind of escape from from uh, from their current dangerous situation. So that's the that's the nutshell of the of the first book, and then by the end of the series, I'll I'll just. I'm not going to ruin anything, but there's the question of whether or not they have to actually figure out a way to, to fly their dirigibles and zeppelins off world into outer space. So it, it almost transitions to a little bit of sci-fi. That sounds fascinating. I am curious because you use the, the kind of the clash of the fantasy as well. Are, are there, um, tell me a little bit more about the fantasy element in it. Well, I mean, there's different forms of like, magic there's a sort of a thing that's called the way which isn't too different maybe from like the 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 force in star wars or something like a special spiritual abilities as well as magic and then of course because it's steampunk you have to have that uh sort of element of um blending man and machine like the automaton like maybe you have it's yeah the biological um 
mixed with the mechanical type of idea. Um, so there's a character who is uh, taken by the army to a hospital and um, has um, weapons inserted into his body and stuff like that that are mechanical. So it's you're staying away from like the, the cyberpunk, which would be more of a, a, you know, computer chip type of stuff. And this is more on the mechanical Victorian side. Um, so it's got, it's got elements of magic slash spiritual miracle things going on, as well as the, the mechanical alchemy stuff. How did you set up the rules so you knew ahead of time going into these books, this is how these systems work? Because I think that a lot of writers in process like this will, will come up with these amazing ideas. I'm going to clash fantasy with steampunk, and there's a possibility that it's going to turn into sci-fi off-world. Yeah. How do you contain the system of rules so that it's manageable? Um, well, Satchel Pong starts off on a small island nation with, uh, like, the, it's called the Nine Islands. So obviously there are nine islands where that are inhabited anyway, and it's kind of an insular life. So um, I always like all my stories involve people going and traveling and, and exploring their world geographically. And so as the series progresses, you encounter um, different cultures as you travel throughout that world. And that allows me to improvise new systems and new. So they're not all like I set up everything before I wrote book one. They sort of emerge as I write with that improvisational style. And then I go, okay, well, what? Hmm. We just encountered a new culture and they have this thing that they do. You know, what are the rules around that? So I kind of make it up as I go. And that leaves the door open for things that Satchel Pong as the main character didn't know existed at which I as the writer didn't know existed either at the beginning of book one. So. Yeah, there's this sense. And I mean, it's, it's just a, well, my son is reading through Harry Potter. So it's, it's right on the top of my head at the moment, but every book yeah. JK Rowling introduced something new. And in one sense, if you're reading along with it, you're like, Oh, she always knew that this existed and she was just waiting to develop it for the right moment. But the more I reflect on what she was doing, she didn't know that, that they were going to be casting spells with their mind. She, she Originally, you had to speak it. And then she realized it wasn't elegant enough for the kind of battles that she wanted, the magic wand battles and everything. And yeah. so she adapted it as she went. She may claim differently, but you know what? Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Ultimately, when you read a story and it, and it grabs you by the, yes. by the heart and shakes you around, then who cares how they came up with it or whether that was all, you know, planned out beforehand or not, but I would doubt it. Yeah. And I agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't matter in the end how it all came to be. I do think that there are writers who have this sense of, of maybe inadequacy when they think that somebody can write a seven book series or a five book series, whatever it is, and have the whole arc just built in their mind. Cause that, that suddenly makes you almost, well, mechanically enhanced so <laughs> well said <laughs> thanks let's let's talk about the the marketing efforts and the first question i want to ask you as far as marketing these books is you have a clear definition of the genre you're writing in so you're writing in steampunk fantasy how does that help yeah. you find your readers and what have you done to take advantage of your understanding who is looking to read your work well, I, I would admit to being 
not a brilliant marketer on books yet. I am learning my way through this, but I think it certainly does help to know that there are people who like to read fantasy and steampunk. Um, and, and when you go to a place like Amazon and can check a box that says, this is the category, um, you're helping people find you already. Um, and, it's, and it's tough with mashups and crossovers, which I also have, how you're going to do that. But um, this week I have some newsletters, and I guess some of these newsletters you can purchase space on, um, have readerships in the hundreds of thousands. And so um, it involves discounting my book uh, significantly but to try to sell like a whole pile of them in one week. Um, so I'm giving that a shot for the first time and that's starting up on, on Friday in, in four days. But that's one way of doing it is to discount and, you know, buy space on a, on a massive email list um, and let people know that you have this, this thing on discount and then try to just smash the numbers um, I was working with the PR guy on that. And I was like, man, five books for 99 cents. Are you kidding me? You know how long this took me? And he's like, dude, it's all about volume. It really, you know, it's a digital file anyway. Who cares, you know, how much you get for it? It's more important that you get, um, you know, 500 downloads and start to get the reviews on Amazon. So that's one way of doing it. And then um, the other thing, which I'll do on future series is to get back to Kickstarter. I used Kickstarter back in 2012 for my very first novel. And that was an effective way of getting enough sales that I could then plunk down the cash for paperbacks and have them shipped to me without a lot of cash out of pocket. So that's something that I'm gonna be doing more in the near future again. Okay, so you've got you've got your box set of five books, and it's the Satchel Pong Chronicles are coming out on Friday. Ninety nine cents for all five, for all five for yes. the box set. Awesome. The okay. Box set. Uh, obviously, and, that's the e reader. I know, yeah, but you still <laughs> you still, it gets to be a box set the same, so that's exciting, yeah. and that is going to drive sales. I have heard a lot of times that if you if you grab onto that that sales and you start moving a lot of copies it just doesn't ever go back down even when you raise the price back up you start to just see the sales pick up so excited to see uh, yeah and and uh i started out with that five book set on amazon for 399 but when this promotion's done i'm going to push it to 999 cuz by golly i mean it's five books yeah. it's a lot of reading it's a really really huge value for 99 cents Absolutely. It's a good value for 10 bucks, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And, and the truth is, I understand where you're coming from. And, and this is part of uh, the psychology of being a writer. But those are self-limiting beliefs that we've put on ourselves. We've, yeah, seen, for sure. we've seen these things fail before. But I have, I, I'm standing next to a bookshelf of my favorite books. And I'd gladly pay $50 for each copy of these books. Now, these are my favorite of favorites. But still... Right. The, right. the, the value is in the quality that you're doing and you know, you're pumping out quality. So it's, it's, right. worth, it's worth $10 at a minimum per book. <laughs> so yeah. you're talking, you know, you're giving away a great value in, in doing what you're doing, but you're doing it to reach readers and that's awesome. Well, and I think, you know, and I talked to my wife about that and she had the same reaction, like, my goodness, you know, all that work for the last five years for 99 cents. And I was like, 
Yeah, but I mean, even if you only get 70% of that, you know, you're, you're getting 70 cents every sale. What if you sell 500,000 copies that way? You just have to have a different mentality about how literally how many people in the world of the 7 billion people in the world, how many of them have a device that can access the internet? Right now, it's about 6 billion with a B. So, and, and how many of those speak English? You know, and then you're still in just like, it, there are numbers that you cannot fathom in your mind. They're so big. So the potential is there to get really rich at 99 cents a pop. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. And the fact that it's evergreen. So there are new readers being introduced uh, every day and uh, it's, you can't, I mean, unless the internet just breaks and it doesn't come back, that is it. You're not going to run out of of supply you just pump it out for nothing. So it's a great way to go. Talk to me about some of the other channels that you're using as well for advertising. How does social media fit in? Are there any other things that you feel you're doing that other writers should be doing or especially is there any caution you'd like to give writers and say hey don't waste your time this thing didn't work for me and here's why i heard a couple years ago already that audiobooks were starting to hit 30 percent of the market consumption so a few months ago i think yeah maybe five months ago or so i started i set up a sound booth in my basement i'm not paying somebody thousands of dollars to make audiobooks for me but i can read and this is this is a talent that i do have so i'm going to set up my own audio booth and learn how to edit uh, my own audiobooks and get them out there so currently i only have one uh, available Uh, it's called vortex street but i have many others on the way and i spend about an hour a day reading into um onto audiobooks and i believe that that is the future and especially if anybody's writing uh non-fiction um like some of my books on leadership the the target audience for them that is like leading companies and they're busy people and they only uh many of them only listen to books they do consume books they are interested in reading but they do it when they're driving um there's also people who, you know, I run into people who are dyslexic and they love to consume books, but would prefer to listen to it because it's just easier for them. So I think one of the things that all writers have to do and how you market the audiobooks, I know we're supposed to be talking about marketing, but but basically what you're talking about here is making your your book available to an entire additional set of readers that aren't going to touch it, whether it's an e-radio or or a paperback. So um, I think that's the that's the future of books. If you want to be serious about selling your books, you have to make them available in audio as well. I can relate to that because I've personally probably switched over to where I'm about 50-50 audiobook to physical book with my reading just based on my busy schedule right now. Uh, it's funny, that reminded me of something you had mentioned uh, when we first talked about uh, kind of going back to your last thing where you're doing a box set of books, but there's something a little special about that. Well, I think it, I think it's, uh, it's got potential for a niche group of people who, um, yeah, so the idea is, and you can see this on my website, adamgfleming.com, there is a, um, there's a, 
a thing that you can buy. I think it's 10 for 100. Um, so you get eight, seven or eight of my novels, paperback signed, plus one by my mentor um, who is deceased and his book is out of print. So I have used copies of his book around um, and throw that in the box. And then one or two, um, and shoot, if I'm feeling generous that day, there might be three books that I bought at my bookstore, you know, paperbacks that I'm just going to throw in. Like, you might like it, you may not, I don't care. It's just like, you're just getting a big old box of books from Adam G. Fleming. And um, I think that's fun. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a lottery ticket, right? You might, you might get one that you already have on your shelf. Who knows? You can always share it, you know, but that's a great thing about paperbacks. You can always re-gift them. So uh, that's something that I, I tried and just threw up on the website. Like uh, my wife's always asking me, can we get rid of some of these books? And I'm like, well, this set here goes on this shelf here. And, and those are for people who buy the big box set, which is pretty much all my books, plus a couple from some other people that I, and they're always going to be something that I read and enjoyed at least somewhat. Is there a discovery of your website organically through SEO or any kind of things like that, that have helped people find you? That's probably, if I'm going to be honest, the piece that makes the least sense to me is how to make something standalone like that actually discoverable. So for, for me, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of early on in the process of building um, a, a brand or a platform, whatever you want to call it. And people will find me on social media very easily. I've, I've put yeah. a lot of effort into being findable that way and right. have done well for myself. But when it comes to the website and everything, I'm directing traffic from my social media to my website. And I would prefer to flip that so that I own the territory where people go first. Yeah. Um, what, right. what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I have the same concern about what what I once heard called share cropping. Anytime that you have space on a platform that somebody else owns, you're share cropping. And as soon as they decide to change the rules, you're you're uh, subject to that, and there's nothing you can do about it. Which is why I like to own my email list. I don't know something like forty six hundred people on my email list, and nobody can take that away from me. Mark Zuckerberg or whoever can, you can edit that out if you want, but nobody can because <laughs> then we'll both lose our, <laughs> no, I know Mark, you're listening. You're always listening. Um, yeah, that's called sharecropping. So I'm, I, I just get hung up on how much time. Uh, I mean, you asked me about how I write so fast. One of the things I do is stay off of social media. It's just such a time drain, but I, I do, I do push traffic towards my website from social media. And, um, and I think that, that, yeah, you want to have your own website for that reason and your own email list for that reason. And I'm pushing traffic towards my website from my email list as well. Um, I don't, I only email people once a month. Um, it's, even that takes an hour or two of setting that whole thing up. I'll write a uh, book review on my blog about somebody else. I might write a little bit about where I traveled that month, uh, throw up a travel photo or something. If I was like in February, I was in Belize. So I had to put a picture of palm trees on the beach, you know, on there and try to make it interesting for readers and, and maintain a 20% click uh, open rate or whatever. Um, 
but that's I, I prefer I think the mailing list to to social media. Yeah, that's great. And I wish I wish we would have talked a little bit more about the mailing list because 4,700 uh, email addresses is a really good number. It's a solid way to reach a lot of people who have already opted in and said, yes, I'm interested in your content, so please send me more. Yeah. Um, we also didn't touch on the fact that you're as prolific of a traveler as you are a writer. So you're you're taking a lot of trips each year. Um, you have a family, so I would love to find out more about that. Um, and it, it looks to me like the best idea is to try to have you back on for a follow-up episode, maybe a couple of months after you launch the the book set so that we can see how that went uh, and, and yeah. listeners can find out how that went. So does that sound like a plan? That sounds like a great idea. Um, awesome. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So in closing then, let's go ahead and wrap here and tell everybody you, you've already plugged your website, plug it again. Um, I will have okay. it in the show notes and then anywhere else that you want people to find you. Okay, so it's adamgfleming.com, and you got to spell Fleming with only one M. Uh, you should also spell Adam with only one M, but people do, usually don't screw that up, but I might as well say it. And then uh, um, on Amazon, if you just search my name, Adam G. Fleming as well, you should be able to find me on there um, or just search for the Satchel Pong Chronicles. And if you're listening to this shortly after it comes out, you're going to Within the week of April 29 to May, uh, what is it, 6, I think, the 29th to the 6th, something like that, you should be able to pick the entire set up for 99 cents. So it's a great value. I know I will be picking up the 99 cent deal. Um, I'm not going to wait till it's it's boosted, but I will definitely be reading it and, and engaging with the, the community on it. So I'm glad that we had the opportunity to talk today. Also, I do know how it feels to have your name misspelled because despite the fact that anywhere you find me, it's J-O-D-Y, I have people write me emails and things all the time, J-O-D-I. And I'm like, look, you literally are staring at the email address that you're <laughs> emailing me. <laughs> it's yeah. J-O-D-Y and you still... Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's just and, a, a little aside. <laughs> and, and you know what? I don't mind telling people what my email address is, agf at adamgfleming.com. And so if if there's if you see something on my website, you're like, hey, I want to make a special order or whatever. I'd like to get, you know, some some books for my nieces and nephews or whatever. Just email me and ask me, you know, if there's any way I can cut you a deal or whatever. I, yeah. I like to I like to help people out. So. Awesome. That sounds great. Really enjoyed the time. I will get back in touch with you for a follow-up episode and best of luck here coming on Friday. Thanks, Jody. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Spur. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening.